Section 22 of The Myths of the New World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Berard. The Myths of the New World by Daniel Brenton. Chapter 8. The Origin of Man. Usually man is the earthborn, both in language and myths. Illustrations from the legends of the Caribs, Appalachians, Iroquois, Kikwa, Aztecs, and others, the underworld, man the product of one of the primal creative powers, the spirit or the water, in the myths of the Athapascas, Eskimos, Moxos, and others, never literally derived from an inferior species. No man can escape the important question, whence am I? The first replies framed to meet it possess an interest to the thoughtful mind beyond that of mere fables they illustrate the position and creation claimed by our race and the early workings of self-consciousness often the oldest terms for man are synopses of these replies and merit a more than passing contemplation the seed is hidden in the earth warmed by the sun watered by the rain presently it bursts its dark prison-house unfolds its delicate leaves blossoms and matures its fruit its work done the earth draws it to itself again resolves the various structures into their original mould and the unending round recommences this is the marvellous process that struck the primitive mind out of the earth rises life to it it returns she it is who guards all germs nourishes all beings the Aztecs painted her as a woman with countless breasts. The Peruvians called her Mama, Alpa, Mother Earth, Homo, Adam, Shamajins. What do all these words mean but the earthborn, the son of the soil, repeated in the poetic language of Attica in Anthropos, he who springs up as a flower? The word that corresponds to the Latin Homo in American languages has such singular uniformity in so many of them that we might be tempted to regard it as a fragment of some ancient and common tongue their parent stem in the eskimo it is inuk plural inuit in athapasca it is dini tene in algonquin enini leni inui in iroquois onwi iniha and the Otomi of Mexico in Ai, in the Maya, Inic, Wanak, all in North America, and the number might be extended. Of these, only the last mentioned can plausibly be traced to a radical, unless the Iroquois Onwi is from Ana life, Ahi to live. This father Jimenez derives from Win, meaning to grow, to gain, to increase in which the analogy to vegetable life is not far off an analogy strengthened by the myth of that stock which relates that the first of men were formed of the flower of maize in many other instances religious legend carries out this idea the mythical ancestor of the caribs created his offspring by sowing the soil with stones or with the fruit of the mauritius palm which sprouted forth into men and women while the Uricares, much of whose mythology was perhaps borrowed from the Peruvians, 
clothed this crude tenet in a somewhat more poetic form fabling that at the beginning the first of men were pegged aerial-like in the knotty entrails of an enormous hole until the god tiri a second prospero released them by cleaving it in twain as in oriental legends the origin of man from the earth was veiled under the story that he was the progeny of some mountain fecundated by the embrace of mithras or jupiter so the indians often pointed to some height or some cavern as the spot whence the first of men issued adult and armed from the womb of the all-mother earth the oldest name of the allegheny mountains is pamotink or pamonik an algonquin word the meaning of which is said to be the origin of the indians the wichitas who dwelt on the red river among the mountains named after them have a tradition that their progenitors issued from the rocks about their homes and many other tribes the Takles, navajos coyoteras and the haitians for instance set up this claim to be autochthones most writers have interpreted this simply to mean that they knew nothing at all about their origin or that they coined these fables merely to strengthen the title to the territory they inhabited when they saw the whites eagerly snatching it away on every pretext no doubt there is some truth in this but if they be carefully sifted there is sometimes a deep historical significance in these myths which has hitherto escaped the observation of students an instance presents itself in our own country all those tribes the creeks seminoles choctaws chickasaws and natchez who according to tradition were in remote times banded into one common confederacy under the headship of the last mentioned unanimously located their earliest ancestry near an artificial eminence in the valley of the big black river in the natchez country whence they pretended to have emerged fortunately we have a description though a brief one of this interesting monument from the pen of an intelligent traveller it is described as quote, an elevation of earth about half a mile square and fifteen or twenty feet high from its northeast corner a wall of equal height extends for near half a mile to the high land unquote. this was nun chaha or nun hamge the high hill or the bending hill famous in choctaw stories and which captain gregg found they have not yet forgotten in their western home the legend was that in its centre was a cave the house of the master of breath here he made the first men from the clay around him and as at that time the waters covered the earth he raised the wall to dry them on when the soft mud had hardened into elastic flesh and firm bone he banished the waters to their channels and beds and gave the dry land to his creatures when in eighteen twenty six albert gallatin obtained from some nachos chiefs a vocabulary of their language they gave to him as their word for hill precisely the same word that a century and a quarter before the french had found among them as their highest term for god reversing the example of the ancient greeks who came in time to speak of olympus at first the proper name of a peak in thessaly as synonymous with heaven and love 
A parallel to this southern legend occurs among the six nations of the north. They, with one consent, if we may credit the account of Cusick, looked to a mountain near the falls of the Oswego River in the state of New York as the locality where their forefathers first saw the light of day, and that they had some such legend the name Oneida, people of the stone, would seem to testify. The cave of Pacari Tampu, the lodgings of the dawn, was five leagues distant from Cusco, surrounded by a sacred grove and enclosed with temples of great antiquity. From its hallowed recesses, the mythical civilizers of Peru, the first of men, emerged, and in it, during the time of the flood, the remnants of the race escaped the fury of the waves. Bercota himself is said to have dwelt there, though it hardly needed this evidence to render it certain that this consecrated cavern is but a localization of the general myth of the dawn rising from the deep. It refers us for its prototype to the Amera allegory of the morning light flinging its beams like snow-white foam athwart the waves of Lake Titicaca. An ancient legend of the Aztecs derived their nation from a place called Chicomostoc, the Seven Caverns, located north of Mexico. Antiquaries have indulged in all sorts of speculations as to what this means. Sahagun explains it as a valley so named. Claviguero supposes it to have been a city. Hamilton Smith, and after him Skullcraft, construed caverns to be a figure of speech for the boats in which the early Americans paddled across from Asia. The Abbe Brasseur confounds it with Azatlan, and very many have discovered in it a distinct reference to the fabulous seven cities of Cibola and the Casas Grandes, ruins of large buildings of unburnt brick in the valley of the river Gila. From this story arose the supposed sevenfold division of the Nahuas, a division which never existed except in the imagination of Europeans. When Torquemada adds that seven hero gods ruled in Chicomostoc and were the progenitors of all its inhabitants, when one of them turns out to be Shehua, the giant who, with six others, escaped the flood by ascending the mountains of Tlaloc in the terrestrial paradise, and afterwards built the pyramids of Cholula. And when we remember that in one of the flood myths, seven persons were said to have escaped the waters, the whole narrative acquires a fabulous aspect that shuts it out from history, and brands it as one of those fictions of the origin of man from the earth so common to the race. Fiction yet truths, for caverns and hollow trees were in fact the houses and temples of our first parents, and from them they went forth to conquer and adorn the world, and from the inorganic constituents of the soil, acted on by light, touched by divine force, vivified by the spirit, did in reality the first of men proceed. This cavern, which thus dimly lingered in the memories of nations, occasionally expanded to another world, imagined to underlie this of ours, and still inhabited by beings of our kind, who have never been lucky enough to discover its exit. The Mandans and Minotaris on the Missouri River supposed this exit was near a certain hill in their territory, and, as it had been, 
as it were, the womb of the earth. The same power was attributed to it that in ancient times endowed certain shrines with such charms, and thither the barren wives of their nation made frequent pilgrimages when they would become mothers. The Mandans added the somewhat puerile fable that the means of ascent had been a grapevine, by which many ascended and descended, until one day an immoderately fat old lady, anxious to get a look at the upper earth, broke it with her weight, and prevented any further communication. Such tales of an underworld are very frequent among the Indians, and are a very natural outgrowth of the literal belief that the race is earthborn. Man is, indeed, like the grass that springs up and soon withers away, but he is also more than this. The quintessence of dust, he is a son of the gods as well as a son of the soil. He is the direct product of the great creative power. Therefore, all the Athapascan tribes west of the Rocky Mountains, the Kenai, the Kolishes, and the Atmai, claim descent from a raven, from that same mighty cloudbird who in the beginning of things seized the elements and brought the world from the abyss of the primitive ocean. Those of the same stock situate more eastwardly the Dogribs, the Chippewaeans, the Hare Indians, and also the west coast Eskimos and the natives of the Aleutian Isles, all believe that they have sprung from a dog. The latter animal, we have already seen, both in the Old and New World, was the fixed symbol of the water goddess. Therefore, in these myths, which are found over so many thousand square leagues, we cannot be in error in perceiving a reflex of their cosmogonical traditions already discussed, in which, from the winds and the waters, represented here under their emblems of the bird and the dog, all animate life proceeded. Without this symbolic coloring, a tribe to the south of them, a band of the Minotaries, had the crude tradition that their first progenitor emerged from the waters, bearing in his hand an ear of maize, very much as Viracocha and his companions rose from the sacred waves of Lake Titicaca, or as the Moxos imagined that they were descended from the lakes and rivers on whose banks their villages were situated. These myths, and many others, hint of general conceptions of life and the world, widespread theories of ancient date, such as we are not accustomed to expect among savage nations, such as may very excusably excite a doubt as to their native origin, but a doubt infallibly dispelled by a careful comparison of the best authorities. Is it that, hitherto, in the pride of intellectual culture, we have never done justice to the thinking faculty of those whom we call barbarians? Or shall we accept the only other alternative, that these are the unappreciated heirlooms bequeathed a rude race by a period of higher civilization, long since extinguished by constant wars and ceaseless fear? We are not yet ready to answer these questions. With almost unanimous consent, the latter has been accepted as the true solution, but rather from the preconceived theory of a state of primitive civilization from which man fell than from ascertained facts. It would perhaps be pushing symbolism too far 
to explain as an emblem of the primitive waters the coyote which according to the root diggers of california brought their ancestors into the world or the wolf which the lenit lenap pretended released mankind from the dark bowels of the earth by scratching away the soil they should rather be interpreted by the curious custom of the tokaways a wild people in texas of predatory and unruly disposition they celebrate their origin by a grand annual dance one of them naked as he was born is buried in the earth the others clothed in wolf skins walk over him snuff around him howl in lupine style and finally dig him up with their nails the leading wolf then solemnly places a bow and arrow in his hands and to his inquiry as to what he must do for a living paternally advises him to do as the wolves do rob kill and murder rove from place to place and never cultivate the soil most wise and fatherly counsel but what is there new under the sun three thousand years ago the herpini or wolves an ancient sabine tribe were wont to collect on mount Sarakte, and there go through certain rites in memory of an oracle which predicted their extinction when they ceased to gain their living as wolves by violence and plunder therefore they dressed in wolf-skins ran with barks and howls over burning coals and gnawed wolfishly whatever they could seize though hasty writers have often said that the indian tribes claim literal descent from different wild beasts probably in all other instances as in these this will prove on examination to be an error resting on a misapprehension arising from the habit of the natives of adopting as their totem or clan mark the figure and name of some animal or else in an ignorance of the animate symbols employed with such marked preference by the red face to express abstract ideas in some cases doubtless the natives themselves came in time to confound the symbol with the idea by that familiar process of personification and consequent debasement exemplified in the history of every religion but i do not believe that a single example could be found where an indian tribe had a tradition whose real purport was that man came by natural process of descent from an ancestor a brute the reflecting mind will not be offended at the contradictions in these different myths for a myth is in one sense a theory of natural phenomena expressed in the form of a narrative often several explanations seem equally satisfactory for the same fact and the mind hesitates to choose and rather accepts them all than rejects any then again an expression current as a metaphor by and by crystallizes into a dogma and becomes the nucleus of a new mythological growth these are familiar processes to one versed in such studies and involve no logical contradiction because they are never required to be reconciled end of section twenty two